Okay. Well, we are... Um, the Western Church moves into Lent this Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. And the uh, Eastern Church begins next Monday, the following Monday, on Clean Monday. The difference being that for the Western Church tradition, those things that are given up for Lent uh, are not given up on Sunday. Uh, so they need a little longer time, whereas the uh, Eastern Church goes straight through with the 40. Now that doesn't mean you're giving up sin and then you repractice it on Sunday. So giving up sin is what we do all the time. Uh, the issue of giving up something for Lent is related to fasting and self-denial. So keep that in mind. So this season is called by many, including me, the season of the cross. And each year, our liturgy uh, focuses on the themes of Lent and the cross in particular. Many of us don a cross during this time. And I want to reinforce what that is about. And I hope to give you a deeper appreciation for the hymns of the cross. A couple of years ago, I did a series on music, and at the end of that, as we were moving into Advent, I did a number of series, a number of messages on the theology of the hymns of Christmas. And I meant to do more beyond that, but we got into other areas. So I want to address the hymns related to the cross during this Lent season. One of these times we'll get to the hymns related to the resurrection and the hymns related to uh, the second coming. Um, but uh, for now, we'll, we'll do the cross. Uh, the cross is both a central aspect of our faith and a controversial aspect of our faith. So as we struggle with the meaning of Lent, we have to reflect on the symbolism of the cross. And I want to give a background to that. Um, I'm not sure everybody shares my... Um, my sense of what this background is, but in my understanding of church history, I really think that this is a parallel, one of those parallels between Christianity and Judaism that we can see if we, if we have the text in front of us. So I'd like you to turn to Numbers chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 37 through 41. Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 to 41. Now the context of this is important. It's about the sacrifices, and then it talks specifically about the Shabbat for Israel. And then God says in uh, verse 37, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations. They shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, so as to do them, and not follow your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot. So that you may remember to do all the, my commandments, and be holy to your God. I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, I am the Lord your God. Now, God gave Israel uh, this fringe... You guys are familiar with the tzitzit. Uh, these don't have the blue in them, but you know what, what they look like uh, in, a, in a normal Baptist church. I'd have to have a display out here. But you guys know about the, the knots and the 613 commandments. This, this was God giving Israel um, a reminder. 
Now, not a reminder to do the commandments so they would be saved. Keep in mind that God had delivered Israel by the blood of the Lamb, now made a covenant with them that he would bless them when they, when they obeyed him and he would uh, trouble them when they disobeyed him. That's a relational covenant. It's not a salvation covenant. The salvation was always by grace through faith and is to this day. Uh, but what God said is they needed to remember that they were holy under the Lord, set apart to be his people. And why did God give them this reminder? Because the Jewish people then and now, as well as we disciples of Jesus who have come to fear the God of Israel, are prone to forget. Uh, prone to forget. Particularly when life is good, we are prone to forget the Lord. So I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I'm glad I picked this one instead of the Deuteronomy 6 passage that we read earlier, because then I can refer to it. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, God says, Give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, uh, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the, to the very heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, that he wrote on the two tablets of stone. Now, God is talking to them, and this passage, as well as the passage that was read earlier, and a myriad, I could just go through an entire, probably six-month series, on the times when God says, remember me, remember what I've done, remember my commandments. He says it over and over and over again, because... We have a tendency to forget. And that's why God gave the tzitzit to, to Israel. And so Jews will wear these. Some wear them out. Some wear them in. There's an issue there. I don't want to get into that. But there is a reminder. When you see these, you'll remember that you are my people. That I brought you out of Egypt. And that you made a covenant with me. Now the early church struggled with these same things. And as they began to be pulled away from Israel, which I see as problematic, they began to create parallels in this framework. One of the earliest parallels in terms of symbolism and imagery for, Jew, for Christianity was the cross. And they would make a sign of a cross on their forehead, sometimes a sign of the cross on their mouth, sometimes over their heart. Later that became the sign of the cross that you see often when people do prayers. And so the cross became the symbol of a reminder that we are bought with a price 
and that we are to glorify God in our body, which is his. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. I'd like you to turn to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. I'm struggling with this because the things we know the best are the things we forget easiest. Because we get we get lazy. We get we get focused on new and exciting things and then we forget. So I want us as we enter into Lent to remember why we're doing these things. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 17, the apostle to the Gentiles says, uh Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. So where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached, the message of the cross, to save those who believe. For indeed Jews seek signs and the Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified To Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles brings this idea of the word of the cross, or the, the message of the cross. And he says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And he makes a distinction in that the Jews are seeking a sign, and the Gentiles are seeking worldly wisdom, but we're preaching the cross, and that, a Messiah crucified, is a stumbling block to Israel, and pure foolishness. To the wise among the Gentiles. But for us. From Israel and from the nations. It is the power and the wisdom of God. Now any symbol. Is filled with meaning. Some meanings. Related to certain symbols. Like words. Can be contradictory. Or paradoxical. So we talk about the word fast. And it can mean not to eat. It can mean that we're moving rapidly, or it can mean that we're stuck fast. We're not moving at all. And so, multiple meanings means that people look at symbols and see things very differently in this way. The symbol of the cross is problematic between Judaism and Christianity. And it's problematic in American historical dealing with race. I'll talk about both of those in a minute. So it's both offensive and comforting. It's a scandal and a hope. So we're going to look at the symbolism and the meanings of the cross. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to see how these are expressed 
in the hymns of the cross that we sing during Lent. So, we start with understanding the use of this term in the Older Testament. So turn to Deuteronomy 21. Trying to cover familiar ground in an unfamiliar way. We'll see how that works. Chapter 21, verse 22 and 23. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. This word for cross, this word for tree, is a concept in the Older Testament as a device for capital death in execution. On a tree, on wood, on a gallows, or in a plank. Any of those words could form the translation. The person killed in this way, the Bible says, is to be buried before sundown because he's cursed of God and you don't want him hanging there defiling the Holy Land. I want to remind you that this scripture that we read is focused on a holy God, a holy people Israel, and a holy land of promise that is ultimately about all that the prophets uh, talk about. So there is, in this root, and we'll see this text quoted in the New Testament, there is this root, this idea of the capital crime and the person dying uh, uh, because of sin. In the New Testament, and under the Romans, the cross became a symbol of torture, curse, humility, actually humiliation, and death. No one can read about the use of the cross by the Romans and not understand that it was an instrument of pain and torture. There is suffering in the cross. Now we have nice polished crosses and we have well-formed crosses uh, in our jewelry and in our churches. Um, we have to remember that the cross is an instrument of death, of capital crime and death. And we have to remember that it's an object of pain and torture. We'll see that in those hymns. Today we go to extreme ends to prevent a capital execution from being cruel. Our country does everything they can to, if they take the life of somebody who's committed a capital crime, that they are given full dignity and no pain and no suffering. And therefore it's hard for us to see this other side of that. The cross represents suffering. I'm always struck by the fact that even in the sacrifices uh, of Israel and in the kosher laws, the suffering of the animal is, is considered in the process. That animal is not to suffer. And yet the cross is about suffering 
and pain. It's also a curse. So if you would turn to me to Galatians chapter 3, we're going to see uh, a quoting from the Deuteronomy passage that we saw earlier. I always lose my Galatians book. I found it. Galatians. Yeah. They hide it from me. Galatians 3.13. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Really important to understand that Christ became the curse for us, to remove the curse of the law. He didn't remove the law. He didn't remove the Torah. He didn't remove the blessings. He removed the curse because that's what we would have gotten if that was the standard that we had to meet. But the standard that we meet is faith. Trusting that God will provide the salvation through His Son, through the cross, through His death, burial, and resurrection. Very important to keep that in mind. In Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 to 8. The apostle says to us. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Who though, although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death of a cross. There is in the cross... A humility. When we take up our cross, we humble ourselves, but it opens us up to humiliation. As the Lord suffered humiliation, though he was humbling himself even to the point of the death of the cross. He suffered that humiliation in obedience, not out of pride and arrogance, not exalting himself so that God would exalt him. So the cross represents the ultimate humiliation of the believer as well. Because it's related to our self-limitation and our self-denial. I am struck constantly at the university with the students who are going to do great things for God. They're going to do great things for God. They're going to change the world. And the reality is God is acting in this world on our behalf. And we need to humble ourselves. He'll use us in our humility. He will not use us in our arrogance and in our pride. And then, of course, 
The cross is a representation of death. The suffering and the guilt and the humiliation leads to death and to complete loss. And that makes the cross a horror to all who face it. It brings death, which is the loss of self. So that means we have to become completely dependent on God and on resurrection. And that actually is what our faith is about. Our faith is about resurrection. Taking up our cross, dying to self, and following Him. Those are the words of our Lord in Luke chapter 14. I'd like you to turn there. We'll pick it up at verse 27. Large crowds were going along with him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brother and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, not able to finish it, the ones who observe it will ridicule him. Saying, this guy began to build but wasn't able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. He's not saying that we are to get rid of everything and live out in in the trees and in the bushes and in the caves. Though that may come. We have to be willing to not be possessed by anything that we own. So that we are focused first on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The facing of the cross and carrying our own cross involves a cost. And if we start that and then things get tough and we stop, we're going to be mocked. But it is through following the way of the cross that we find life. Because it is the symbol of resurrection. And we'll see that in these hymns. Although we're going to see a little bit of a problem in the hymns that they look to the new heaven and the new earth more than the kingdom to come when they talk about this. Talk about that next week. Now unfortunately the mockings are going to come even if we don't quit because the cross now carries other meanings. And it's important for us as believers in this time to know that we are going to bear some mocking related to the cross that is the result of the sin of believers or those claiming to be believers. The anti-Semitism of the church is symbolized by the cross in the minds of many Jewish people. And I think with good reason. I've told you before about my professor who asked me, she was a Jewish woman, uh, asked me to baptize her children because they were moving to Orange County. And I couldn't believe it. And I said, have they... Have they converted? I knew they were Jewish. She said, no, 
but we're moving out of the Fairfax district and we're moving into Huntington Beach and I'm worried that they will be abused if they're not baptized. And I went home and told God, no Jewish person will ever fear my faith in their Messiah. So I have to be sensitive to what people in the name of Jesus have done to the Jewish people in the name of Christ and using the sign of the cross. I have to bear that reproach as well. There's a terrible slaughter of Eastern Christians and Muslims in the Crusades, symbolized by the cross for many in this world. And while it's exaggerated in some of those populations in the retelling, the meaning of the cross to many of them is the slaughter of Christians by so-called Christians. And then that also happened following the Reformation when Christian group after Christian group killed each other in the name of the Lord. Calvinists killing Baptists and Catholics killing Lutherans and just terrible problems in the modern era with that. The experience of blacks in America includes the burning of crosses of the Ku Klux Klan and present-day white supremacists who use that symbol and Christian nationalism often to promote their hate and racism. So being identified with the cross is filled with baggage. Some of it from God's intent and from of it from the evil of mankind. And we don't have the luxury of clarifying our meaning over there. Oh, I don't mean any of that. I just mean this. That's not going to work. There is a reproach to bear if we don a cross or speak the word of the cross. By that I mean the gospel. But we must bear that as well because false accusations are going to be uh, hurled. We must not respond in kind. So I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, chapter 2, I'm sorry. Verse 21. The context of this in verse 20 is suffering when you're doing the right thing and being abused when you are not doing evil. And he says, you are called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I beat that to death in the Roman series. For by his wounds you were healed. And you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Peter tells us that Christ suffered 
and was abused. And we need to follow in the same pattern. Not threatening and not reviling back. Because we're prone to sin, we need reminders. So God gave Israel the tzitzit, and the church has taken on itself the symbol of the cross. What I would call Christian tzitzit, if you will. So I don't want you to just think about the greatness of the glory that's going to come. I want you to think through this Lent of what that cross means. It is a bitter, bitter symbol. It is a terrible, terrible symbol. And at the same time, it is a symbol of glory. I cannot any longer think of the cross, any cross, and not see John Paul II when he was so sick and so weak and unable to do the Holy Week things so he couldn't lead the procession through the stations of the cross. So he was in his own chapel, hanging on to a cross, bent over in suffering, watching under the altar the others do it. He was going to remember and remember and remember right up to his death. So in your own way, and together in our households and congregation, let us enter this time of Lent, the season of the cross, and let us remember that we were bought with a price, a terrible price, and called to God through His Son. And let us remember that we are to die to self and sin and pride. Let us live in humility, willing to face humiliation. Let us engage in prayers and fasting and doing of good works so that nobody will really be able to accuse us of doing wrong. And that reflects a knowledge of God and His Messiah. Next week what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at two hymns. The Old Rugged Cross and I Believe in a Hill Called Mount Calvary. We're going to look at the theology that's in them and try to see these things in that context. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.